So you may recall that last week we did not finish. Uh, so this week we are going to finish. I did. I I'm not going to have John Gray reread the scriptures. I added a few to my list, and I thought about making it a bulletin insert, but. I decided to save the paper. But anyway, so we are continuing with our eight essential elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel series. The eight elements are listed in Roman numeral one on your outline, and we have been on element seven for a while. So this is seven, uh, capital P, small e, uh, in, my, in my crazy numbering schemes. And uh, we are dealing with the, the pattern of the first five steps of entering the kingdom of Christ, which are listed under Roman numeral two, and I would encourage you to memorize those, and I would encourage you to conduct your Christian life by saying, uh, have I thoroughly done each of these steps? Uh, because, it, you know, any reading of the book of Acts in the early church would tell you that it was uh, clearly common for uh, Christians to go through all five of these steps the first week or so that they were a Christian. There's no examples in the New Testament of someone taking longer than 10 days to go through these. Um, however, in our day and age, uh, because of all the groundwork, kind of having to bulldoze away and refine the foundations and so forth, it's probably, uh, you're probably doing pretty well if you've gone through all these the first year you've been a Christian, or the first few months maybe. But you certainly want to make sure you have taken all five of these steps at the start outset of your Christian life. So, uh, and we're not going to relist them today. Now, step three is called being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, just to be clear, we uh, always reiterate this. We believe the Holy Spirit comes into your life when you receive Jesus Christ. When you become a born-again Christian and you are converted to Christ, the Holy Spirit enters your life, and you should begin to know, able to know him, to hear him speak to you through Bible reading, to touch his presence in worship, both privately and publicly, and you should begin to be able to sense his presence. However, there's a second encounter with the Holy Spirit that clearly happened to the disciples in Acts 2, to the Samaritans, it says the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on any of them. They'd simply been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ until Peter and John came and laid hands on them. It was clearly a second encounter. Uh, Acts 9, it was a second encounter with Jesus three days later after Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus when Ananias came and prayed for him. Uh, Acts 19, it was clearly a, a separate experience from receiving Christ and being water baptized. So... Uh, Acts 10 is less clear that it's a second experience, but if you go through and read the verbiage of Acts 11 through verse 18, you'll see that it says after they had received Christ that the Holy Spirit came upon them. So um, that is an encounter you want to have. It's an encounter that what, what we did in the beginning of this uh, series, this series is also coinciding with doing a much more comprehensive complete Baptized in the Holy Spirit series. We have a four-part series that's on the podcast under Messages on Baptism from 2013 or 14, and that's the one we generally take people through to get them prepared to get prayed for. 
all we're doing in this, uh, this uh, second baptizing the Holy Spirit, of which this is chapter 14b of that series, we're doing that at the same time as the eight essential elements, is we're looking at all four of those teachings in much greater detail. So the fourth teaching, which is called imparting and receiving the Holy Spirit baptism, we're making that a whole section of this teaching, and we've been on that since about chapter 11, I would say, something like that, or 12. I'd have to go back and look. But um, the second part of that teaching is on five common hindrances to getting baptized in the Spirit. Just to be clear, uh, we've reiterated this each of the weeks, but... um, these will also hinder you once you're baptized in the Spirit from, from being regularly refilled with the Spirit and staying filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, Paul tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And anybody uh, who cares about other people, whether you're a parent or uh, got a friend or so forth, you know that in relationships you can conduct yourself in such a way that you grieve one another. You know, like, uh, no parent is, like, really excited when their son comes home and says, I got three detentions today and an F on my test, and, and I also stole the teacher's car. But, I, no, no, you know, or whatever. You know, you, you would be a little grieved as a parent, right? So we can conduct ourselves in such a way that blesses and pleases and make, brings joy to God's heart. We can grieve the Holy Spirit of God uh, by attitudes, motivations, and behaviors. So, um, these uh, five hindrances that not only will hinder you in receiving the baptism in the Spirit in the first place, but they'll hinder you from continuing to go on to walk in the power of the Spirit. And so, they're they're things that need to be addressed. Often, uh, when praying for someone to get baptized in the Spirit, uh, if they don't encounter that immediately like is normal, uh, normally you might have to take them through one of these uh, five to help them receive that. And so uh, we'll be talking, I'll be giving some examples of that when we get into uh, the next three occult involvement and bitterness and unforgiveness and spirit of unbelief. I'll give specific examples of situations where we had to help people get through those to encounter more power of the Holy Spirit in their life and to get initially baptized in the Holy Spirit as well. Now, the second one uh, is a little pop culture-ish, but I call it the Charlie Brown syndrome, and I take that from uh, when Charlie Brown went trick-or-treating, if you remember. Uh, They walk away from the first house, and Lucy says, I got good and plenties, and I don't remember all the, you know, one, I think Linus got almond joy or something like this, and they're all very happy, and, and Charlie Brown goes, I got a rock. And, uh, and, uh, um, and many of us have that kind of a, a struggle with having that kind of a spirit before God ourselves. And so um, I gave my testimony last week of why I didn't, when I, the first time, I heard a message on the baptism in the Spirit. I was well acquainted with it because my parents were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I was just coming to Christ and not even out of drugs yet or anything and just starting to read my Bible. And it actually was one of the, probably the first church meeting I had ever had been to, or willingly anyway. Uh, <laughs> I'd gone to church when my parents made me when I was a kid. But um, it was the first, first one that I was there of my own free will. And... Uh, 
wanting to be there, and I didn't go forward because I thought God wouldn't give the Holy Spirit to someone as sinful as me. And then, uh, as I, if you remember, I shared with the guy who brought me on the way home, I said, do you think God would fill someone as sinful as me with his Holy Spirit? And he said, you know, if you truly wanted to be filled with God's Holy Spirit, he would. And so, um, today we want to kind of continue, flip over, and we want to continue with uh, more on the Charlie Brown scriptures, uh, uh, or more on the Charlie Brown scriptures, Charlie Brown syndrome, uh, some pertinent scriptures that pertain to this. Um, I've added a few, and I want to start with one of the ones that you don't have in front of you that I have. And this is from Proverbs 18:14, and I've blended the New American Standard Bible and the King James Version together. And it says, the spirit of a man can endure his sickness. King James says infirmity. So he's talking about a physical bodily sickness. Uh, everything from cancer to paralysis or whatever. But a wounded spirit who can bear. And it's a rhetorical question. It's, it's indicating no one can bear a wounded spirit. You can't face it. And uh, the, uh, unfortunately, the New American Standard and the New King James uh, translate the word wounded as broken, and I, and I don't think it's as good a word as wounded. Uh, the ESV, trying to do better than, than, than broken, uh, uses crushed. And I think that's more toward uh, what the writer is, is getting after, although I'm not a Hebrew expert. Um, you know, I just look it up in, in the Bible dictionaries and that sort of thing. So, um, so what I think is really happens is, you know, the Scriptures make it clear, Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is living and active, and the word there, active, is sometimes King James and New King James say powerful, and it's energemos, which we get the word energy from, and it has to do with the gifts of motivation, and, and it has to do with power. It's the other word other than dunamis that's used for power in the New Testament. It's act, it'll happen, make things happen. In fact, that verse is actually the basis of a doctrine called the infallibility of Scripture, when God sends his word, it's active and powerful, and it will accomplish that which is sent for, as Isaiah 55 also says. So, um, then it tells us that the word of God will divide between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow. And what you need to kind of begin to understand is your spirit and your soul and your body are all you, they can't be separated, much like we can't separate any of the attributes of God, but we can discuss them separately for the sake of our clarity. In your spirit, soul, and body, you can not only discuss, but experience them separately. So it says that Jesus was aware in his spirit that the Pharisees were thinking thus and thus. That wasn't just emotional or mental. So your spirit has your conscience, it's the, it has your ability to commune with God because God is a spirit and the way things work in the spiritual is spirits can actually mingle together without losing their identity, separate entity, but that's how we actually experience fellowship with God by his spirit fellowshipping with our spirit and, and his spirit dwelling in our spirit and our spirit dwelling in his spirit. 
But, in, but we never lose. We actually become more the person we were always meant to be when that happens, not less like in some Eastern way of thinking. Like in the Eastern way of thinking, there's a, a nirvana or a great impersonal energy force, and we become one with it by losing our identity in it. And so the goal in like Buddhism would be to, to have less passions, less desires, uh, less personality, less activity, and be, be more one with the force, Luke. Trust the force, Luke. Uh, the force is a Buddhist concept. And uh, so uh, Christianity is the opposite. When God's spirit comes in you, it's personal, not impersonal. It's living and active. And it will cause you to be all the more a person you, are, you were created to be in the, in the first place. Your spirit was designed to have God's spirit dwell fully and richly in, in it. Your spirit was meant to be the temple for the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, where you're in the, and your spirit was meant to dwell in your body with God's spirit filling your body as his temple. So, um, when you uh, have a wounded spirit... You actually have to deal with that somehow, and how you deal with it is you uh, find ways to look away from it. And mostly, as a general rule, every person has a a different personality and so forth, but as a general rule, uh, by the way, there's authors like Frank Peretti has a whole book on wounded spirits. And uh, Pigs in the Parlor uh, deals with wounded spirits and lots of inner healing type of books and things deal with that. But it's something much deeper than a wounded emotions. And it's, t- and it's much deeper than mental wounds. There are mental wounds and there are emotional wounds. But a spiritual wound is something much deeper. And it's uh, more debilitating. And most people today, they, you know, there was a time when... Uh, I, I learned how to cast out demons from, from the tapes and, uh, and uh, one personal visit to a guy named Derek Prince that some of you have heard of. We use his book, They Shall Expel Demons. He's been passed away for a long time. But uh, back in the 70s, you know, I listened to all his teachings on it. I went to see him and, and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and I, that's really kind of how I learned how to cast out demons and practicing it with my mother and other people. Uh, and you're doing it a lot in the Bowling Green Church. In fact, the, past, the elders would usually send people to me and my roommates if they needed deliverance. And so, um, and we had many amazing experiences. Like, for instance, we were uh, casting a demon of death out of a young man who had uh, been very involved in a very uh, rich fantasy world of occult uh, things and so forth. And we, we commanded the spirit of death to come out of him. He fell over. He had no pulse, and he was not breathing. And when we cast the spirit of death out of him, he sat back up. He was breathing and had a pulse again. And uh, it was a very amazing experience. And I had invited a couple skeptics to be in the room. And uh, to this day, uh, my good friend Victor Tenbrink, who's a successful attorney in Bowling Green, will tell you that experience put, put him over the edge. He was really wrestling with his Christianity true until he spent three weeks casting demons out of that particular young man with us, and it totally convinced him of the, of the power of the kingdom of God. And, uh, you know, it's something that we really have to seek God to restore to the church 
Because woe is us if our faith only rests on apologetics. I'm all for apologetics. I read apologetics all the time. But our faith, as Paul said in in 1 Corinthians 4.20, needs to rest not on words, but on demonstration of the Spirit and power. And uh, I hope you have not lived a Christian life where you have not had those kinds of occurrences. You need those kinds of occurrences. And there, I'm thinking about maybe doing a a testimony thing where I share experiences like that. I've seen uh, some of you I've done that in private with. Uh, but I've I've literally had hundreds of experiences like that, and and uh, they're very important. So anyway, back to a wounded spirit. When you have a wounded spirit, there's kind of two primary, and these are gross generalizations. I know ways people deal with it. I call it mountain people and valley people. And the scripture says every mountain will be leveled, and every valley will be healed. But there are a lot of people who are kind of, their security is in something like extroverted, like, you know, I'm a tough weightlifting guy, or I'm, or I'm the cool guy, like the cool people in high school, and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And a lot of times, those kind of people are really just trying to mask their deep insecurities. And they're putting their identity in winning a championship, or I can lift more weights than you, or I can win the spelling bee, or something in the natural that would say, you know, I'm better than you, and I therefore got some reason for identity. A lot of prejudice really gets down to people putting down other people in the hope to feel better about themselves. Really, that's really where the, uh, what a lot of prejudice is about. There's a great deal, a lot of wickedness done with people striving in their own strength to find some per- way of saying I'm important and valuable. And uh, the opposite will tend to be the, the introverted kind of people uh, who tend to more withdraw on themselves, and they're more aware of their insecurities usually and so forth. Usually the extroverted people don't even know that they have it. They've actually kind of convinced themselves it's not there and it's not real and I'm a pretty secure and confident person because we're the cool people in high school or something, you know, shallow like that. So... Um, Again, the spirit of a man can endure his sickness, but a wounded spirit who can bear. So, um, you know, I, I, I would really encourage you to consider through uh, both inner healing and deliverance, if you have a wounded spirit, get some ministry for it. Um, and the greatest ministry is going to have to come, will actually come by wrestling alone with God in your private prayer closet letting your spirit get quiet. Lots of people who have a wounded spirit never get alone. If you don't like being alone and you always avoid being alone and you always fill up your life with other social things and so forth, that's probably an indication that you have a wounded spirit. Uh, Get alone with God and let him speak over you. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Part of the reason the baptism in the Spirit is so important, and I would really encourage you to listen to Beth Karayuki's testimony on our website about it. Uh, if you go under messages on baptism, it's the top message on that in that section. Because she had a wounded spirit. And when she got baptized in the Spirit, we all wept and cried for a long time. And it was a kind of healing kind of crying. 
And you could tell it was like the dam was breaking and all these dead frogs and pond scum and beer bottles and old tires were being washed away from her spirit. And uh, all this fresh living water of Jesus was coming into her spirit. And this was going on very nicely. And then Emily Weiss got up. She, I can still remember. I was sitting over here. Beth was sitting right here. I, I couldn't stop weeping. Beth couldn't stop weeping. Lots of people couldn't stop weeping. And Emily got up and went downstairs. And I watched her walk down there. And I thought, hmm, she, had to, she has to go to the restroom or something. So then she comes back a couple minutes later with a, a square kind of plastic bucket that you put down the sink for doing dishes. And she had clean soapy water and a clean rag in it. And she knelt down in front of Beth and she took off Beth's sandals. Uh, she had just flip-flops on or something like that. And uh, she began to wash Beth's feet. And oh my gosh, I, went, I was like bawling a little. Then it was like a river. It was like, you know, the kind of bawling when it's not even polite because you got like snot running down your nose. And, and it's like, you know, uh, it's not even cool. I mean, you're like, like all, all hope that anyone would think we're cool just went right out the window. <laughs> you know. No, nobody, let, nobody there was cool anymore. We were all weeping and crying, but it was, it was Jesus saying, I love you and I'm washing you. And being the keen, insightful guy that I am, I saw, but I saw Emily in private uh, later. I don't know if it was the same day or, you know, and I said, Emily, that was so amazing. How would you know how to do that? And she said, the Holy Spirit showed me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, so it, it was awesome. So uh, I share that just to say God cares about your wounded spirit, and God wants to speak into your wounded spirit, this is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son. You know, it's amazing how many Christians struggle with rejection issues and wounded spirits. But let me tell you, it, there's a fundamental lie in that wounded spirit because if you're a Christian, you're one of the most blessed to be, en and the word blessed actually means to be envied. Because guess what? Jacob I loved and Esau I hated before they'd done anything good or evil. And there's no one who has been drawn to Christ. No one can come unless the Father draws him. You didn't choose me, John 15, 16, but I chose you, right, Jesus says. Ephesians 1, we read last week, talks about how we were chosen, and it talks about how we were accepted in the beloved. And the Greek word there is only used twice in the New Testament. The other time is when the angel is speaking to Mary and calls her the much-favored one of the Lord. God is actually calling you the the same thing he called the Mary. That's how special you are to God if you're in Christ. If you've been drawn to Christ, you were chosen before all eternity to be drawn to Christ. And you didn't choose to become a Christian. And you probably won't make much progress in your Christian life till you really understand that. Like, it, it, you know what? If you were born into a Christian home and that had something to do with why you came to the Lord, that was God's providential choice. You could have been born to an alcoholic dad that beat the crap out of you all the, every day. If you were born to that and you're in Christ, you know, it really doesn't matter what background you came from. 
It matters that from all eternity, you have been chosen to be a son or daughter of God, and you would not have turned to Christ had you not been chosen. And so there's, you are the most fortunate, most happy, most blessed uh, per, person that is imaginable. The God of the universe said, I'm going to make Teresa Cummings my daughter. And she did as much as she could to keep that from happening. <laughs> as I did, you know, I, you know, we all think we were seeking truth. If you ever hear someone stand up and go, I've been seeking truth for so many years, and last night I found Jesus, just stand up and go, liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> you know, your feet smell, you don't love Jesus, you're going to hell. No. <laughs> the truth is, uh, the Bible reveals there's none who seeks for God. Romans 3.10, quoting Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. Together they've turned aside. You ran from God. You tried to keep it in religious shallowness when you couldn't keep God from drawing you anymore. You tried to re retreat back to outward forms of religion. You tried all kinds of things to keep from being intimate with the living God. But he loved you. And he drew you with his irresistible grace. And he loved you with an everlasting covenantal love that is the most amazing thing, and it's so amazing that it, the Bible actually says that in the ages to come, Ephesians 2, we will praise the unfathomable greatness of his grace because just like you've started to realize, wow, I've got a great life. The, like a Christian should never complain, really. It, if you're complaining, you're deceived in your perspective. Now, that doesn't mean I have never struggled with complaining. <laughs> but I was deceived in my perspective when I did. We should be constantly thankful, constantly filled with hope, constantly filled with the grace and joy of God because he chose you. And, like, and I hope you've had experiences like the apostle Peter had after he got, you know, swam out of the boat and all the other you know, we all like to make fun of Peter because of his, uh, what's the good word I'm looking for? Uh, you know, he's kind of just spontaneously doing impetuous kind of things. And, and, you know, but, you know, what's amazing about Luke 5 is that everyone else, uh, you know, I may never get to my outline today. I am, real, I am really trying to get at, uh, we have people who still have wounded spirits, and I want to see you get set free from it. I really do. And that should be part of getting baptized in the Spirit, actually. That should be an encounter that happens with being baptized in the Spirit. Be Just like the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, Romans 8 says the Holy Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit will give you that intimate relationship with God that a three-year-old girl has with a, a dad, if, if they're the kind of dad that John's been, where you're doting on him all the time, and most of our dads in our church are like that, uh, thankfully. And, uh, you know, you're playing with them and blowing zervers on their belly and bouncing them off the bed and, and holding them up above your head and zooming them around like airplanes. And you're, 
And, and you, you're boring your friends with, don't you think my kid's amazing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> I was terrible with that stuff. I mean, it's like, the people just said, oh, no, don't let him talk about his kids again. <laughs> you know, you, you are blessed beyond what you can imagine. And in the ages to come, we will actually grow it's one of the reasons we know we won't be omniscient in heaven. Jesus has a name that no one knows, Revelation says. So, uh, we will actually grow in our understanding of the awesomeness of his loving grace. In our praise, in our thankfulness, we love because he first loved us. He who's forgiven much loves much. And we'll be growing in our understanding of that for all eternity. The worship will, will get better and better and better. And better, and better, and much better. <laughs> Unending, ad infinitum, as they would say in Latin. Is that Latin? I think so. So, um, all right, so maybe I'll talk about my notes for a few minutes. Uh, well, there, no, I won't. I'm going to give us a, cup, a, a couple other scriptures that, that are kind of important here. Um, that in addition to what John read that I last week one of the things i also want to help us under do is is understand uh the purpose of trials okay so here's some scriptures romans 5 1 through 5 therefore since we have been justified with faith faith by faith it's easy for me to say we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ through him jesus we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now think about what that's saying. That's why we rejoice, because we've been told that we are going to be more Christ-like and more filled with his glory for an ongoing process of eternity. The sanctification that we're slowly experiencing as we walk with God now is going to continue to grow forever, even when we don't have a sin nature anymore we'll still be getting closer to God. Not that sin will be holding us back anymore, but our finiteness will. So not only this, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. And I would I appeal to you, if that's not your reality, where, like, if you still struggle with whining or complaining or getting discouraged, don't be condemned about this. I... You know, I went through a period of my life which actually co coincided uh, with the first years of starting this church where I struggled with depression at times. And John Weiss and, and a number of other people helped me pass that. And that's been gone for quite a few years now, and I thank God for that. It's okay to have real struggles, but the antidote is not going to be found in a pill bottle or in, in, a, in a bunch of counseling session or smoking a joint. It's not. It's not going to be found in a liquor bottle or uh, a better, a cooler car and more achievement and vocationally or, or any other thing you might find, think you'll find it. It's going to be found in rejoicing in your sufferings because when you thank God in your sufferings, you're starting to exercise faith that he's providential. There's a three-legged stool that you've got to build your life on, and you'll know 
if your life's built on this because you're always, people who have this are always upbeat. If you say, how are you doing? They're always doing great. You know, they might, you know, you might go visit them in the hospital and they got the flu and they look all greasy and they've been puking. How are you doing? Oh, good. <laughs> I don't look very good, but man, I mean, the Lord is good. Because uh, you know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope is one of the most precious commodities in the history of the universe. Oh, that's the Great Voice Translation. Hope does not put us to shame, is the, uh, I believe that's the ESV version. Hope does not put us to shame. But NASB, NKJV, and NET all say hope does not disappoint. ESV says does not put us to shame. Both are good. You know, they're wrestling with what the Greek word fully means. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, now that statement is ambivalent. When he says God's love has been poured out in, through, uh, in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, you re- First of all, you receive that at conversion. But you receive it in a greater measure when you're baptized in the Spirit and every time you get filled with the Spirit and filled with the Spirit and filled with the Spirit. And the more you learn how to live out of the power of His Spirit, the more that hope does not disappoint will be part of your fabric of your being. And there's some people that are didn't get optimistic by reading Dale Carnegie's uh, you know, how to have a positive attitude crud or any of the positive thinking Christianity stuff. There's humanistic positive thinking and Christian positive thinking crap out there. And they, your, the Christian bookstores are filled with it. But you get it by really hoping in the glory of God. First John 3, we know that when we see him, we're going to be like him. I'm not going to struggle with lust, with gluttony with procrastination, with, you know, your aching back or your knee or whatever. You're you're going to be more and more like him for all eternity. And that's why hope doesn't disappoint. And the Holy Spirit uh, has been given, has been poured out in our hearts. Now, does that mean... When he says that the, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, is he talking about your knowledge of how much God loves you has been poured out through the Holy Spirit? Or is he talking about how much we love God back? Which is it? The, the, the passage is ambivalent. It's, it's ambiguous, I should say. Um. And it's purposely so, because it's both and, not either or. You will constantly know how much he loves you more and more and more. And 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. And so as that, as deep calls to deep, and that becomes this uh, whirlpool of ever-increasing faith and hope, in power in your life as you walk deeper and deeper into the power of God and the, the holiness of God and the clarity of knowing God, uh, it gets better forever. 
And that's why, you know, a Christian should actually never be pessimistic or down or discouraged. How you doing? Fine under the circumstances. What are you doing under the circumstances? Don't live under the circumstances. Live in the, what the Bible tells you're seated in heavenly places. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's amazing. My wife and I have lots of silly private jokes between us. And uh, if, if she uh, gives me any sort of correction or whatever, I just always respond to her, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. <laughs> but you are. Logan, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, even when you're struggling with your attitude about Michigan's losses. <laughs> you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, whether you feel that or not. There's some days where that uh, seems uh, a little more realistic than others, but it's always the reality of your life. So, uh, James 1 says, consider it all joy. Another consider is a choice perspective word. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, which means whole, integer, uh, lacking in nothing. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he's been approved, he'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes upon you when it comes upon you, not if it comes upon you. Scripture clearly says when. For your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that at the revelation of the, of the glory you may receive with, rejoice with exaltation. Do you know some people are born into more troubles than others? And that could be because they're extra blessed. If you're called of God, God will use every problem set that you were given to cause you to know him deeper to cause you to know the fullness of his sufferings deeper, to cause you to rejoice in the power of his resurrection, and you will be increased in your ministry by being able to give it away. I, you know, I, I, I don't want to bore you with this because most of you have heard this already, but you know, my Christian life started with, I started having out-of-the-body experiences because I was so heavy into the occult side of psychedelic drugs. And I started descending into hell. And, and I had satanic angels talking to me about, you know, why I should join the rebellion and so forth. And it took almost two years of deliverance. And that's why I went to see Derek Prince and, and all kind of things to keep my sanity. And just when things were starting to go better, you know, I got a phone call. And my brother came over to see me and told me that my little brother, the closest person in the whole world to me, had just died. And uh, seven years later, I had been witnessing to my best friend for years, and he died in a car accident, hating God to the moment of his death. My oldest brother died hating God to the moment of his death. 
Uh, after 17 years of, of ministry and so forth, I lost everything through some stupid mistakes I made. You know what? These are all the best things that have ever happened to me. Like, things when are going well are not as much of a blessing as when things are going rough. Really. It really is the case. You will come to know more about God, and you will have to develop more character, and you will de develop a, a better everything about you if you find the grace of God in difficulties. And it starts with thanking him because that's the ultimate act of trusting in this three-legged stool that I started to talk about and didn't finish. Number one, God is in control. You know what? My best friend didn't die accidentally. My brother didn't die accidentally. Officer Diaz didn't give me that speeding ticket accidentally. <laughs> you know? God is providential. You didn't get that lousy boss, except it was a love gift from God. Now, when, when you're supposed to embrace your crosses, don't hug your boss. <laughs> if he, especially if he or she's an unbeliever, they'll just tell them, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> but, uh, but you can metaphorically in your heart hug them and thank God for them. Right? So number one, God is in control. Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Do you really believe that? And do you believe it immediately when Officer Diaz pulls you over? <laughs> right? Or when you get a flat tire or, you know, or they ask you to work overtime when you're really tired or whatever you might consider a negative thing. Secondly, he loves you. And everything that happens to you comes through those two filters. In other words, the chastisements, the, er the hardship, all of it is designed for your good. Part of it is an opportunity, one of the greatest opportunities in life, Paul talks about in Colossians, filling up the measure of that which is lacking in Christ's suffering. Now, that's a very difficult passage. Jason, I wish, long, unfortunately, we weren't doing podcasts yet, but Jason taught on that passage many years ago and really nailed it. And, uh, and it uh, is, what, what it gets down to is, if you think about what the phrase filling up the measure of, of what's lacking in Christ's suffering means, guess what? Most people, when they read that passage, if they're alive and they're not brain dead and they're actually interacting with what they're reading in their mind, they'll go, wait a minute. There's nothing lacking in Christ's sufferings. They're complete. So what could that possibly mean? God needs us to add to Christ's sufferings? No. What's lacking in Christ's sufferings is your full participation in it. And that's the joy we get from continuing to consider it all joy when we encounter various testings, when fire ordeals come, when we're born with handicaps and troubles, when we're born with, you know, dysfunctional families and, you know, when the economy goes bad and when we live in a country where one president after another is an evil jerk. You know, we've had, like, really bad presidents for, like, 30 years or more now. So... And that, who cares? I don't care. 
You know, people are always upset about how bad the political situation in Washington is. What would you expect? They're lost. <laughs> like, I expect it to get worse. Just like around 7 or 8 in the evening, I usually expect it to get darker. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I'm not that smart, really. You know? <laughs> you know, of course it's getting worse. Who cares? It's... For the righteous, it's getting better. The path of the righteous is like the rising of the sun, which shines brighter till the fullness of the day. And it really gets brighter when you have difficulties. That's the best. The, the difficulties are by far life's best part. As the writer of Ecclesiastes says, don't let your heart be in the house of feasting, but rather be in the mo house of mourning. Sometimes I just go to funerals no, of random people. No, no, I'm just kidding. No, I don't. I'm just kidding. But, you know, I actually like to take walks in cemeteries, though I do. <laughs> and uh, I remember when I first met Larry Trimbach, we walked in the cemeteries around Bowling Green uh, for a long time, and I had him share his testimony with me in 1975. Why? Because we're all going to end up there. And that will be a glorious day because that means we're in the immediate presence of God. That means we had commencement. We graduated. Dress you up in a cap and gown and put it in your coffin. <laughs> Give you a diploma. So, all right, so I'm, I'm running out of time, and I didn't, I didn't really talk that much about overcoming condemnation, which I did want to deal with a little bit. Um, I had asked somebody to put, uh, oh, shoot. Um, I was going to put that John Piper article here, but I, I realized I had somebody print it out and give it to me instead of having someone just put it on my podium. But um, so I'm just, let me find a way to just end this here. You know, mostly we ended up getting into trials and how to deal with that and so forth. I, I would encourage you to, um, if you struggle with insecurities, condemnation, rejection, any of that kind of stuff, get some ministry about it and make that a priority to get that out of your life. If, you're, if you have moody swings and all that kind of stuff, you really shouldn't. That that's more just an indication that you're not that well-founded in the basic things of the gospel. And that's okay. But get some help to get past that. Because, honestly, uh, everything that happens for you, I didn't finish the third leg of the stool off, and I'll close with that. First one is what? God is in control. He's sovereign. He's providential. Second, he loves you. That is, he's always covenantly faithful. He doesn't love you in some gushy, mushy thing. His, his love is clearly defined in his covenants, especially, of course, for us, the new covenant, the eternal covenant, which is rolled into the new covenant. Right? Thirdly, the third leg of the stool is he is able. Do yourself a, a favor sometime. Go to Bible Gateway or some program like that that's searchable by phrases and put in exact phrase, put he is able. Then pull up all the scriptures and print them all on the same page. Then put 
God is able. And print those all with together. Because you know what? Whatever you're struggling with, he's able to deliver. You may have, you know, like I've been dealing with gluttony now for 43 years. <laughs> but God is able. Right? And he helps me quite often. Not that I will ever not struggle with that to the end of my life. Who knows? There are, there are some kinds of problems that are just gone. You know, I quit doing drugs and quit hanging around the kind of people who do drugs, and I haven't been tempted to do drugs in 44 years now. It's just gone. Then there's other things that are going to be part of your daily battle. It's, there's an old pastoral saying, pride, money, and sex. They're like the poor. They're with you always. <laughs> You'll deal with those every day. But every day he is able to deliver. He is able to give you the victory. He is able to form Christ in you. And those things are actually God-sent things that will press you into him. There's a great purpose to, to the fact that he gave you an ongoing sin nature. It causes you to seek him. I have no hope against my sin nature without encountering the, the, the resurrection of Christ every day. I must live in, uh, you know, that I've been crucified with Christ. I, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I have no other place where I can live. Thank God for that. Thank God that I'm such a wicked person in my sin nature because it drives me to him. Amen.